I asked the Lord, what really can I address? And I think we're all going through something together that is unequaled. I mean, what we're experiencing in my lifetime, I've not experienced any other time. And I talk to older people, and they also have not experienced the kind of um, child pains, as it says in Scripture, kind of um, uh, groanings that we all are going through. And I'm not referring just to the pandemic, but to the many changes in the electronic world and the politics and the economic situation or the world travel. I mean, there's some good changes, (laughs) but um, most of it is really hard to deal with. And this came to to the front this year when twice I had to put my wife into isolation. And behind a closed door, make her food and put it at the, at, the, at the door. And then every morning ask, how did you wake up? How are you feeling? What a weird and strange feeling, huh? All kinds of thoughts start to go through our, our, our head. The two people she was walking with came down with a heavy case of COVID. One died. And she was working... Um, breathing and eating and praying and singing with these people. Um, So I don't know, I'm sure some of you have similar stories. And the Bible does address this. These are called groanings or, or, or pains of childbirth. And Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, creation groans, we groan, and the Holy Spirit groans in expectation of something new to happen. So Paul brings this to, the, to a positive side. The groanings are, are, are less considered than the actual new life that can come out of these groanings. So the challenge I have in this next half hour or so is to welcome these groanings as an opportunity and not as disaster, not as the end of the story. God has surprises. I often tell my children, uh, my actually children today are adults, so I I talk to other children now and say, um, you know, life is like a giant um, treasure hunt. Um, there, is so, there are so many good things out there to discover about God and just unwrap and say, look, Father, what I found. And I think part of that is going through a groaning process to discover what positive things we can take out of this experience. So may, may the meditations of God's word meet us in our time of need this morning. I'd like to turn to you to Romans 8 and look at part of this chapter. Um, and then I'm going to be turning to other parts of scripture because I want to pick, pick out role models, Delton. I think we need role models. We need examples to follow. And so we will look at not only Paul in this chapter, but Peter and Moses and Jesus himself, Lord permitting. Okay, so Paul, he has a view of, of how to handle these groanings. And I would like to begin with cha- chapter 8, Romans, verse 18. And I'm reading a version, I'm sorry, most of you don't have, but it's my devotional Bible, so it's from the heart. Um, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing 
with the glory which is about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the children of God. So all of creation looks to us for hope. For the creation was subjected to futility, fruitfulness, frustration, doubt, not on its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Decay we know all about. Decay happens to all of us, even if we don't want it. But the other part, the contrapartida, is the glory of the freedom of the children of God. This is what the Lord holds out to us. We are to show others the glory of the freedom of being children of God, both now and in the life to come in heaven. So there is a purpose for us children to reveal this hope. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but I put in parentheses, but we also groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption. Parentheses, which is the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved, and now hope that is seen is not hope, For who hopes in what he has seen? But if we hope for what we have not seen, we wait for it with patience. So we can err by having faith in faith just because that's the way it's always been. And that's the type of people we're working with. Why do you do it this way? Why do you believe this? Where does that come from? And they say, I don't know. It just has always been that way. How do you know then? Well, it's not in any book. It's just the way we were told. That's hope and hope. It's nice, but it's fragile. But are we any different? Do we hope and hope? And then in times like this that are unexpected, get to start tottering, start wavering? It's like walking a broad path and finding out that it's getting narrower and narrower. And then... What we thought was stable falls and we find ourselves on top of a wall that is like a tightrope and everything is so unsure. Where are we going to fall? How is this going to happen? What's what's happening next? And, And then you start thinking the ridiculous. But if if you if you are with me, times like this is time to choose what side of the wall we're gonna fall or step down from. Because we were not made to walk on a wall. We were made to walk on solid ground. But most of us walk on walls, putting off the decisions that are tough decisions of who we're going to serve. But Jesus was very clear. He said, you serve only one God. You cannot serve both. Knowing sima dumuru, as they say here. And this is a time that now the decision is forced upon us sovereignly. So it's, look at this as opportunity. 
forced to choose sides. And Paul says, do it in patience. Choose, but wait for the great result. And what a great result. He says, our bodies. I have a back pain. I almost couldn't make it through the first service. Ache and pain, groan from within, looking forward to that glorious body. What is it going to be like? What does it look like? Does that fill us with hope? Uh, Peter. Let's turn to First Peter. Peter talks a little bit about this hope. You can see it just in, in all of his two letters. Every chapter, every word is speaking about a clear vision for the future that he has. He's speaking to a people who lost everything they had. These were to the exiles in Asia Minor. So these are people who don't know how to speak the, the language, don't have a house anymore, don't have their culture to fall back on, don't have their neighbors to serve them food, don't know how to raise their children, don't have how to move around, don't have how to buy food, maybe. But that's the kind of people we're working with, refugees in the Middle East. And, and Paul writes two letters to these people, this first letter, to build hope, to build clarity in what they are fighting and working and walking for. And so if you turn to uh, 1 Peter, uh, verse 1, uh, verse 3, excuse me, he expresses it like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for by his great mercy he has given us a new birth, in parentheses, in order that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he doesn't say so that we can have hope, but that this hope is a living hope. It's alive. It's moving. It's got a life of its own. And it's been put into us, and it, it builds life in us. And it's contagious. It'll give life to others. It's not just a normal book read hope. It's spiritual. It's made to motivate and give hope where there's no hope. And so Paul starts his letter this way and goes all the way through his second epistle until his death, explaining, trying to visualize, trying to capture, trying to take a picture of this hope for the people who have no hope. And, and living and working with refugees, this becomes very clear. That's the only thing we can give them. They don't want anything else. There is a suicide among teens every single month in the, tent, in, the, in the camp because they have no hope. How can we communicate hope to these people? By living it. We have to believe it ourselves. They need to see it in us if they're going to start to ask questions. And they did. When we were coming, the, the doctors here in the hospital called Yvonne and said, your mother is not going to make it past the weekend. We thought you should know. Thank God for what's up phone calls. But that changed our plans. In two days, we were back in Sao Paulo. And Yvonne was able to spend time with her mother before she passed away. But in the meantime, our language 
helper that sits with Yvonne for three hours every day said, Yvonne, um, I'm a bit confused. Why aren't you crying? You, you, why aren't you throwing yourself on the floor and kicking? Why aren't you yelling? You just received news that your mother's about to die. And you're at complete peace. Can you explain to me something? Well, let me explain. If my mother does pass away, I know where she's going. I know she will have a beautiful body. And I know everything she lived for will have its blessing. Because the Lord is both God and Savior. He is both stronger than death and present in death. Really? That's not what we believe. When our people know they're going to die, they don't start, stop yelling and crying for days. Often at night we cannot sleep because the tent next door to us has 12 people in complete hysteria. All night. So how do we handle this hope. Paul says, put definition. Read with me in chapter 2, verse 5, and chapter 2, verse 9. Um, you are like living stones, so let yourself be built. It's not get more active and get to work. It says, just let it be. God is going to make you something you have no idea what is in store. And you're going to be built into a spiritual house, into a holy priesthood, into offering services, spiritual services that are acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim his mighty acts to him who called you. Out of darkness into a marvelous light. Do you see um, the clarity of this hope? Do you see the power of those? Do you see how this hope is alive? Do you see why he, instead of calling us stones for a building, he calls us living blocks for a temple? And, and he enlarges. He goes and gives definition. It's not just a temple, it's a city. It's not just a city, it's a nation. God is about doing something much bigger and better than you can imagine. Get on with it. Get over it. Take a hold of the hope that is put before you. We, we face a choice, right? In times like this. And our, our, our hope is being abalado, as we say, or shaken. And we either give up or we take on new hope that the world is offering us. And this is sort of on a mass production scale now. You, you have to take hold of the hope the world is. is. There's, there's desperation if you don't. Don't choose the way of death. Choose my way of life. And it's, it's the world's option. So you're either... Offer, given the choice of giving up or following the masses. But Paul is, Peter, Paul, all of the disciples, Moses we'll look at, are saying, no, there's a third way. There's a living hope. 
a living hope. I had to teach my, my, my students in university there how to speak English. And by the end of the year, they were speaking English, and I had the privilege of trying to teach them how to tell stories in English. And so I had to use clips, film clips, of, of the power of storytelling. And I threw the, the f film clip of the architect of Frankenstein in black and white with the shaky film way back when. And he's looking at this creation and, he, and, he, and it moves. And he, it's, it's alive. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive. And he starts yelling it. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. That should be our same reaction in reading scripture. Living word gives living hope. And that was made for us. I want you to turn with me quickly to Exodus. In Exodus 19, Moses has a similar experience. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. When he is called to climb to Mount Sinai, he's called to climb the mountain. beginning with verse 5 in chapter 19. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Out of all the peoples in the world, I am making you my treasured possession. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So he's at, trying to visualize. He climbs this huge mountain. They say the mountain today is actually burned. Nobody can visit the mountain. It's off limits. But somebody got in there, a Korean, risked his life to find out what's, go, what's on this mountain, and he discovered half the mountain is all burned. It's black. The, the bottom half is, has vegetation and normal. And it's not a volcano. So imagine Moses climbing this mountain. It says it was in fire, and it was in thunder and lightning. And the ground itself was shaking in constant earthquakes. And Moses climbs this mountain, and he receives this message of hope from the Father, from God. Tell them that they are a nation of priests. Tell them that they are my treasured possession. A possession means they belong to somebody, and treasured is because they have a special task that nobody else is going to complete. Moses and Peter are picking up on the same hope. Do you see where it lines up? And if you study scriptures, this hope is actually spilled out from the beginning to the end as one clear hope. So, we are priests. What does that mean? Well, if you read through 1920 and on, Moses is climbing and descending this mountain at least five times. From the people, he gets the message, go to God and tell him that we're afraid. <laughs> or go to God and tell him, il top. Yes, we're, we're on board. And God would say, go to the people 
and give them this message. Go and prepare them. Tell them there are limits. Tell them these are my plans. Tell them what I expect. Tell them that they are treasured. Tell them that they belong to me. But there are cuidados. There are concerns that they have to take care of. He went back and forth at least five times climbing this mountain, playing the role of priest. Do you feel that sometimes, those who take a hold of this hope? That the priestly role is more work than it was in the normal lifestyle? I've got to give satisfaction to everyone now. People need to hear the word, but God needs to hear the hearts of the people. What a privilege, what an honor, what a responsibility we have. I want to turn your attention also to what um, Jesus went through as priest. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 3. Chapter 3 in Hebrews one and following. Brothers and sisters, holy partners in the heavenly calling, consider that Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, the author of Hebrews brings out that our hope is not just for a safety net to, re- to, to receive us after we die. Our Hope has an earthly implication. It's called a heavenly calling here on earth. And Jesus went before us as apostle or as author or as example giver, as desbravador, as pioneer. And also he went as priest and he continues as priest. He was faithful, verse 2, to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful to all of God's house. Yet Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. What the author of, of, of Hebrews is saying, um, don't only take a hold of hope as important, but clarify that hope and cling to that hope. And Know that the hope that Moses presented to you, and we read in Exodus 19, which was repeated there in in 1 Peter 2, is even better than you think. Just as Moses was the steward of the house, Jesus was the architect. Just as Moses was the servant of all of God's things, Jesus is the son of And this is repeated through Hebrews, every chapter. It was this way, it is even better than you thought. It is even better than you thought. It is even better than you thought, but with clarity. Explaining that life is better than we thought, even in times like we're going through. Um, So what did Jesus actually have to go through? Um, Turn to 12 with me. Of Hebrews. Hebrews 12, it's a verse most of us know. Um, Verse 2. Looking to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter. So before we had him as sort of author and priest, now we have Jesus as pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So he had to face decisions also. He's on the moodle of difficult times. Do I listen to the mocking and, and the shame? Do I listen to the sound of defeat and struggle? Do I weigh the loss of loss? Or do I look to the other side of the cross, the unseen world, the hope that is not seen, and place the deposit of my confidence there? What was there? He says, the joy of being with the Father and seated at the right hand of the throne of the universe, which, uh, which Hebrews calls the throne of grace. Come to this throne of grace and take application for your lives today. Jesus was single-minded. He didn't waver. He's our example. Delta, he's our example, right? And that's why we can keep going. It's nice to feel encouragement, and we have to do this as a body. But it's more important that we have the real example held out before us. So, I raced through this more than I did this in earlier service. I'd like to turn your attention with the extra time we have to Matthew 27 and find out what really happened on the cross. What was this enduring the cross really all about? And I'd like to use this as a, as a challenge, as an example, that when you read Scripture and it makes reference to other parts of Scripture, that means that reference is given for you to better understand, better reference what you should be doing and what you should be understanding. So Scripture interprets Scripture. That's the way we should make decisions. So when it says Jesus endured the cross by scorning the shame, we should go to the cross. What, what happened at the cross? Well, um, yeah, 27. I'm trying to find the verse reference here. Um, 38. I'll start with 36. Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over... The oh, no, sorry, that's 26. 38. We'll start with 38. The two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left, and those who passed by derided him or scorned him or mocked him, let's say, shaking their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were also mocking him, saying, he saved himself. Huh. He can't even save himself. He saved others, but he couldn't, can't save himself. 
He is the king of the Jews. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him if he wants to. For he said, I'm God's son. And the bandits who were also crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. So imagine now it's six hours of hanging on a piece of wood with stakes in your hands and feet. And all he's listening to is the scorn and mockery, the false accusations of people who don't understand what's waiting for him on the other side of the cross. It's a people without hope. They're saying to him on the cross, don't be ridiculous. There is no such thing as the kind of hope you're living for. Does that sort of echo with some of the things maybe we listen to here? Experience ourselves. If you read on, um, all of those who experienced that moment confessed he was truly the Son of God. So the, the, the mockers on the cross, those who were walking by, the, the, the soldiers at his feet, the religious leaders and political leaders all said, well, maybe he did have a better hope. It looks like we, we were clinging to a false hope, and maybe we should listen to what hope he has. You know, his last words on the cross before he gave up his spirit were, Ilah, Ilah, Sabachthani, more or less, if I can't pronounce the Hebrew, but it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it said he gave up his spirit. Our perfecter of the faith, our author of the faith, our pioneer of the faith, our priest of the faith, his last words on earth were a question. Where are you? Did he falter in his hope? No, I don't believe he, he was like us. I don't think he faltered in his faith. The the, the theologian said he took upon himself our sins at that moment. And he was forcibly separated from God the creator. It wasn't a lack of hope. It was a reality he went through. We suffer because of lack of hope. He suffered because of the atonement he took upon his, his body so that we can have faith. He's saying when the disciples of John the Baptist came to him, we, we heard about John the Baptist in the Bible reading of the New Testament. There is no greater man than John the Baptist born of women except those who are born again in the Spirit. This great man of faith faltered in the last days and he sent his disciples to Jesus. He said, John just wants to know, are you really the one you said you were going to be? And Jesus says, did you go to the desert looking for a grass that blows in the wind, tottering because of circumstances? Yes, I'm the one. Um, I want to take you further. Uh, the chapter that follows the, the chapter in Isaiah that speaks of the death of Christ, what chapter is that, anybody? 50? 
53. Everything that he went through on the cross and during the cross is actually written in Scripture on 53. But if you read 54, it says, I only abandoned you for a minute. I have for you a foundation of sapphires. I have for you a gate of precious stones. I have for you walls of colorful jewels. And I have for you towers and pinnacles in the city of rubies. So Moses got a feeling way back when that God was up to something special. Peter confirmed that and that we're being made into a, a nation of priests. But scripture says, and repeated in the last book of the Bible, that the new Jerusalem is being prepared now by the lives of each of us. As special stones. Living stones, as Peter says. Colorful stones. Full of value. Things that others want to look at. May you all be encouraged. We are encouraged in times of difficulty like this. And I hope that this meditation of Scripture helps you to continue your search for pearls of hope. God bless you.